Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your Cognitive Rampage. Man, I've been moving this morning. Catching all up, I finally get to center myself and get ready for the interviews, which is my favorite part of the day. Uh, we do have back-to-back interviews today. Um, I'm not going to intro the preview. Pre- the current guest, my Lord, Adam, get it together. The current guest right now, but back-to-back, uh, right after that will be Frankie Sanchez, Conor McGregor's new boxing coach. Uh, we'll be live right after that. Going to be a good day podcasting, but a uh, few things to tell you about. The second edition of the Cognitive Rampage, a scientific approach to self-discovery, change, and life optimization will be out and available on Amazon on 420. I've said that enough. It's all over the place. Pick up the book. If you bought the first edition, email me at the Cognitive Rampage podcast at Gmail and send me a picture proof, and I will email you a free electronic copy for supporting the first edition. There's no reason. Uh, well, I'd still tell you to get the second, but at least you get the free electronic version after that. Second. You can still mental train with me. If you go to Cognitive Rampage backslash mental training, you can book a one-on-one mental training session with me. Essentially, it's your own personal Cognitive Rampage. Uh, I utilize what I call kicking your front door psychology. Just like the book, I pull from all the sciences, really cognitive especially, but behavioral, environmental, even talk about the influences of uh, biology, epigenetics, all over the place. So uh, you can book that one-on-one with me anytime on that website as well. And If you're so inclined, if you like the podcast, we've been doing this two years now uh, with no sponsors, all my own money, all my own investment, et cetera, but it's getting to that point to where we're paying for a lot of stuff. So if you would, uh, in about a day or two, we'll have that um, page up on the donate page. You can set up a reoccurring one, donate a dollar per show, donate a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything really helps us to keep continuing this show uh, without so much added financial stress, but any love like that would be appreciated. Now, on to today's guest, Sachin Patel. Sachin Patel is the founder of the Living Proof Institute. The Living Proof Institute is a platform to showcase the benefits of functional medicine combined with lifestyle interventions. His vision is to help people achieve greatness through optimal health and many, many other ways. He is a extrinsic, I say extrinsic, look at that. I can't even talk this morning. I don't know. It's, uh, something is wrong with your boy this morning. I have to just like calm down. I forgot my Wim Hof breathing this morning. That's probably it. I didn't get my uh, myofascial release in, so I'm probably like full of a whole bunch of. Urgh. So I think I'm talking to the right man actually uh, today <laughs> to bring me down uh, from that uh, whatever state of mind that may be in. But uh, I'm looking forward to this podcast. He's like I said, the founder of the Living Proof Institute. Uh, if you would please welcome Sachin Patel to the podcast. Good to see you, brother. Good to see we finally got on, man. Thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, brother. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. Definitely. This is the fun part of my day. We were talking a little bit uh, previously uh, about the run around I've been doing since I woke up. I usually love to start my days very slowly. You know, I'm one of those people that are extremely sensitive to how I start my day. And if I start my day, like (laughs) I end up spending the rest of my day going like that, at least until I can sit down, meditate or something. Uh, Sometimes I go play with my dog or do some breathing just to snap out of it. And uh, this morning, for some reason, had a great evening last night. It was beautiful. It was great. I always wake up at about 530 in the morning anyway. Woke up about 536. Actually, it was about 618. So I was late on that. So I missed a couple things and listening to some news and doing that. I just felt like I was like, good Lord, <laughs> slow me down. Slow me down, man. <laughs> you Any know, suggestions? <laughs> um, well, you know what? I, I think uh, something that you might want to try is magnesium. Magnesium is very important in helping you uncouple the stress response. So I would check that. Most people are magnesium deficient. It'll help you sleep deeper. It'll help you metabolize carbohydrates better. It'll help with relaxing muscle tissue. It'll help with going to the bathroom. It helps with repairing and healing the brain. It actually has 300 functions in the body. So when in doubt, take magnesium. That's usually a good rule of thumb for most people. I like it. One of my advice is when in doubt, do what you would advise, right? To get people past the toil or the stress of making a decision. You'll think about somebody you love most and when in doubt, do what you'd advise. As you've already started to drop here, obviously a man full of competence that I'm looking forward to learning from. But we, before we get into that, can we talk about the little Patel? Where did the little statue come from? Where were you born? What was it like? Give me the background info on you, man. 
Well, I actually grew up in Markham, Ontario, which is just uh, northeast of Toronto. And, you know, came from a very humble family. My my dad worked at a garment factory and my mom worked as a secretary and she had a little bit of hustle in her. So she was also a, an accountant on the side and she was actually an Amway distributor at one point. So my mom is like the entrepreneur. She had the entrepreneurial spirit and my dad was kind of the safety guy. So between the two of them, we kind of developed this part of our brain that's willing to take risks and a part of our brain that that kind of knows how to play the downside as well. So my brother and I are both uh, entrepreneurs, but we're both physicians as well. And we both have successful businesses. So, you know, I think a combination of both of our parents is what started this whole thing. And, uh, and, and so there's a bit of both of them inside each of us. So we grew up in very humble beginnings. And my brother and I went to school, uh, we went to the same school, um, high school, and then I moved on to Hamilton, Ontario, which is where I got my degree in kinesiology. He moved on to Waterloo, got his degree in uh, science, and then I went to chiropractic college, and he went to optometry school. So, and our parents owned a motel uh, in Ohio. So, our family's kind of been all over the place, traveled much, been separated, been together, and through it all, we we still have uh, an amazing relationship. So, that's that's where it all started. And you know, and then after I graduated, I moved to Ohio, lived there for about eight years started the Living Proof Institute there, and then stamped out a second location in Toronto, which is where I'm at now. I'm in a city called Mississauga. So was it always wanting to be in the helping field? Was it always wanting to help people? Or was it just uh, pick a career that uh, we know is uh, successful that can provide this and this? Uh, was it any change? Or were you just focused from day one? I always wanted to make people feel good. And my first hustle, if you will, was uh, I owned my own barbershop. So I had a barbershop going in my garage. And, you know, I, I just love the way people would feel after they got a really good haircut or if I shaped their beard up really nicely. And and so I just knew I wanted I mean, to. What, what are you telling me, man? Hey, what, what are, what are you <laughs> no, you me? look good, man. You look good. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that that's when my love for making people feel good really started. Like you can change the way somebody feels in half an hour right? And give them confidence and give them certainty and, and, and really change the next couple of weeks until their hair grows back and they're back in and seeing you again. So it's interesting because as a barber, your friends would tell you everything. Kind of like a doctor, right? Actually, people probably tell their hairstylist more personal pertinent information related to their health than they actually tell their doctor, right? When we go to the doctor, we're usually downplaying what, uh, you know, what our lifestyles, when we go to the barber, we're up playing or exaggerating, or maybe even telling more closer to what the truth is. So your barber actually probably should be your doctor, right? Right. I totally agree, man. Right. The barber is like the real therapist. That's what we used to say to his therapist. Yeah. You're going to see your hairstylist, you're venting it all out. And then Kathy said, and then we all went to the thing. You're at the doctor. You're like, no, I, I've been eating healthy. Yeah. I, I, I've been sleeping. I, I drink once a week, rarely, you know, and you've been wasted <laughs> for four days. Yeah, so so I knew I wanted to be in the field of helping people, but I was really good at at uh, logic. So I I really enjoyed computer programming, and so in high school I had to make a, a I changed my career last minute. I was going to go down the computer programming path, um, but then I changed my mind and I said, you know, I don't I don't think I can sit in front of a computer all day, which ironically is kind of what I do now. Uh, but I don't think I can sit in front of a computer all day and program code because it would just drive me nuts. And so that's when I decided I was going to go into healthcare. And uh, yeah, and so I always appreciated the natural side of things and the amazing ability that the body has. And it constantly, you know, it constantly amazes me, even though I shouldn't be amazed because I'm, you know, fully appreciative of what it does for us. But it's amazing what we're capable of and how little uh, of our full potential we usually operate at. Yeah, I, I uh, write actually in my book that it's the most amazing, amazing instrument you will ever own. And I, I think it's good that it amazes you still. I think so many doctors get jaded over time to where they just put you in a process of going, you know, medical physician specifically, you know, where it's like, okay, this is this, this is that. So this is, they, they don't really look at it in that amazement. It's more or less, I know it all already. Uh, I don't need to hear much from you. Here's what it's, what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have to be in a constant state of amazement. I mean, if you think about it, if you look at research, research, the amount of data that we're producing on a regular basis is just growing exponentially. As our processing power grows, the ability to do research also grows. And so every time we do a research study, it means we don't know something. 
So as we increase, as re- the amount of research we do increases, it actually demonstrates how little we know, right? Mm. Because if we knew all the answers, there actually be less research going on. So it's kind of this paradox that most people don't really think about. But the more the more questions we ask, it, it demonstrates the less we actually know. Uh, and, you know, Dr. Jack Cruz actually spoke to a little bit about that, right? Is that because we do some research, we find a little bit of facts and really it does. It, it presents more questions as it as it did really solve anything and mm-hmm. opens the doors like competence is just unending as if it, we just keep going and learning more that science really by saying we've come to a consensus or a conclusion is really missing the whole state of science altogether. Yeah, I mean, this is actually this is what's killing people because what ends up happening is doctors don't take action because they stay in this constant state of not knowing and feeling unconfident in the recommendations that they can already make, right? So there's no controversy about eating healthy, living healthy, moving healthy, going to bed on time. I mean, these are just common sense things. There's no controversy around these things. But what what doctors aren't doing is they're not telling their clients the fundamentals, these are the big boulders. Nothing works unless those pillars are in place first. And if you don't fix those things, then whatever other intervention you have in the pipeline is not going to work the same way. Do you think drugs work the same way in a person who's really sick versus a person who's really healthy? No, they, they work completely differently. And ironically, the healthier you are, the better the drugs work. Yeah, the the better the food works, the better everything works. I mean, it's just, it's true. Dang, I'm, I love this, man. I'm getting some confirmation. You know, I write a lot in that book, too, about the nutrition, the functional movement, all of these things that if these aren't in line, these are the basis for any approach because then you're just going to stack one medication on top of another medication on top of another medication. And um, maybe you could also uh, educate me here. As, uh, I, I heard that now some of the newer physicians, but um, many ones in practice for a long time really didn't even have classes in nutrition or anything of that realm. Well, here's the thing. I could tell you everything you need to know about nutrition in five minutes. So for me to waste, an, to waste an entire semester teaching people about it, learning about it, that's all, that's all BS. That just creates a lack of clarity and confusion, right? Here's your nutrition. Here's your nutrition class for, you know, 2017. Like, let's just keep it simple. Eat as many vegetables as humanly possible. Okay. Eat the highest quality meat that you can afford. Okay. If it comes in a box, try to avoid it as best you can. Right. And chances are, if there's a commercial for it, it's bad for you. Why not just, why not just start there and just see what happens? Right. And well, that's but, it. but that doesn't sell all the food guru programs and all the shit you got to buy from me because I know all about these foods and it doesn't sell my books and everything. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's a multi-billion dollar industry, right, to keep people in the dark and overcomplicate things, keep them confused. Confusion is what drives our economy, right? People are confused about their health. People are confused about money. They're confused about how to grow food, right? And these things, of course, create confusion in adults because they're never, we're never taught any of these things in school, right? You teach, you don't teach these things. And that's why that's what drives our entire economy. Our entire economy is driven off ignorance and a lack of education. And if people knew how to take care of themselves, our economy would crumble. Imagine everyone woke up financially responsible, responsible for their health and responsible for their own food. Our entire economy would be decimated overnight. Oh my God. Gosh, you're dropping bombs, Sachin. Holy <laughs> good Lord. I mean, I, I love how you said that the confusion is what, is what motivates the economy. I mean, marketing, I think, is is bred to create confusion in yourself. It creates you not to love yourself, creates you to ask questions or say things like, once I have that, then I'll be okay. Once I obtain this or look like this, then I'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, we're having our closets painted at our place today with a all-natural, no VOC paint, by the way. And uh, we had to pull everything out of the closet. And we were minimalists. And today I left my home saying, shit, like most people say, I don't have enough. I was saying, man, I got way too much. And, you know. <laughs> uh, so I, so, I so identify, man. I've been a minimalist now for going on two years. And, you know, it's the knickknacks and shit that I see. I'm like, if I acquire something, I'm like, well, now I got to get rid of something. If, if I have to replace something that did get old or torn up or messed up. Yeah. I mean, dude, I moved across the country, if you will, still on a kind of a walkabout, but I left Orlando and drove all the way across the United States, stopped here in Arizona, Sedona area, and everything I owned fit in my Ford Fusion. Nice. Nice. 
that's um, we're not quite there because we've got a young young family. But between the three of us, it would be like it would be very little. If you like, we live in a thousand square foot condo, so you can imagine that whatever fits in there fits. And so we've done like we moved from a, a you know thirty five hundred square foot home down into a thousand. We downsized to a condo because we wanted to lower our carbon footprint. And it's just the best decision we've ever made. So we've we've trimmed the fat many many times, but shit just keeps piling up after a while. You know, you pick up knickknacks, you gifts people give you that you may or may not be using. I mean, it, I want to kind of go to a, a no gift movement. I don't know if there's something for that, but dude, you know, we are on the same level, man. Just this crap you get. I mean, dude, I'm an adult. I make money. If I want something, I'll go buy it. I don't need you to guess. Right. I have a hard time going to the mall myself and picking shit out for myself. But to get somebody else to do it that, that sees you like a couple of times a year, I'm like, dude, you just save your time and money. And then returning it. I mean, now I'm like, man, my billable hour is like worth way more than this gift. It's cheaper for me to throw it in the garbage than go fart around in the store and return it and then buy something that I don't probably don't even need, you know. Yeah, but what we would do, right? The economy would crash without the makeshift holidays we come up with every month that sends people out to buy a new color scheme of shit to give somebody else. I mean, that's part of driving it, right? And I love, there's a comedian, I forget his name, where he's, you open up the, the sweater they got you, you go, yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, not, no, not doing it. And you see the stress too, right? I mean, I'm just using Christmas as an example, but call it a birthday, call it Valentine's Day, anything. You see the stress of the people as they're wandering the fluorescent lighting in the stores, getting flickered and losing their minds, you know, <laughs> people fighting for the next best, whatever that's coming out. I mean, I love the idea of a no gift uh, society, man, that if it is a gift, maybe it's something you know they need and can't afford, right? Maybe something like that where it becomes more of a helpful gift instead of, hey, here's a knickknack to find some space on a shelf and another dresser you got to buy to put this shit in it yeah well i mean cash always works right hey i'm i'm down i'm down yeah, yeah yeah you can go to cognitive rampage and donate to no um but i i love that minimalist lifestyle man you know what i found difficult for me actually um i used to be a big style guy man i was in the nightclubs forever i had eighty five thousand suits you know i was all that dude man and uh dumping all that was actually easy but when it came down to my collecting, like the knickknacks, like the shit, like the home run baseball when you're nine, the, yeah. the high school yearbook and shit, when it got there, it got difficult for me. Uh, but I, but then it, it hit me harder when I was holding on to that yearbook going, I, I can't do it. And I was like, what is this fucking heroin? Like, I, no, gone. And then once, once you let go of that shit, man, you're like, you, you feel this huge relief come over you. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's easier for some people to do it than others. And I, I was talking to my wife, actually, it's funny you bring this up. I was talking to my wife about this this morning, the decision fatigue of figuring out what the hell you're going to wear. So about a year ago now, I kind of switched all my wardrobe over to Lululemon. So I don't have to iron anything. I know it's not going to stink. It's easy to travel with. It doesn't wrinkle. So I haven't ironed anything or done anything uh, to my clothing, like dry cleaning um, in over a year. And, and I was just thinking, man, man, if you told me that I had to put on a suit today, right. I'm not you necessarily, but let's say I had to, I haven't worn a suit in a while too, but there'd be so much decision fatigue caused by that. Trying to figure it out. Does it look right? Is it ironed? Are my shoe, shoes polished? Does my belt match? You know, what socks am I going to wear? Yeah. It's amazing I, uh, how much time I, we waste on stuff like that. Yeah, that same, wow, we're a lot alike, brother. The same point. I can't remember. I wish I could give credit, but uh, it was if you added up how many mornings you wake up, stand in your closet, thinking about to what, what to wear, whether it's two minutes, five minutes. You know, some people are like, oh, I don't even think. I'm like, well, you're still thinking for a minute or two. Call it three minutes. If every morning it's three minutes in the closet, you add that up over a lifetime. How much of your minutes of life did you spend standing in a closet staring at thread? <laughs> You're yeah. looking around. I love how you call it decision fatigue. Um, I'm sure you could probably answer what what actually goes as happening biologically in the body as someone is going through this decision fatigue, whether it's um, what to eat, where to go out to eat or what to put on in the morning or even what to throw away. Right. Because I, I talk about when people get introduced that are around me into the minimalist lifestyle, there becomes major decision fatigue. There becomes one pile, then the other pile, the maybe pile, the thrown out pile. Mm -hmm. This whole decision fatigue really sets in. And I always warn people that, look, when you uh, first off watch the documentary, The True Cost, 
The yep. true cost will show you how your clothes are killing people. And that turned me. I was already getting close, but that flipped me. But I warn people that it always starts out really fast. You're like, okay, and you're throwing all the shit away, and then all of a sudden it hits this when you meet either the knickknacks or the shoes, right, for some people or yeah. whatever it is. What is actually happening to the body is that decision fatigue is, as you label it. I love that label, by the way. Oh, thank you. So a lot of times we'll hold on to things that make us feel good because the brain likes that. And a lot of, a lot of items uh, like souvenirs and knickknacks, maybe shoes, they usually are anchors. So for example, if you had a, a really nice shirt that you wore and you went out and you had an amazing night, however you want to define that changes as you age. But, um, you know, that shirt is going to be hard to throw away because it anchors you to that evening or a souvenir that you get from an awesome trip that you went on, right? You may never use it or may never even pay attention to it. But what you feel like you're doing is you feel like you're throwing away that anchor or that memory. And so, so from an emotional standpoint, that's kind of what's going on. But then from a chemical standpoint, you also have to uh, realize that every thought that we have requires energy. And so I think of my energy like money. And, and so when I'm thinking of something, I'm spending money in that direction or on that thought or on that idea. And when I think of it that way, it's kind of like my business, my time and my energy is being devoted to something that isn't serving me. So anything I can do to eliminate decision-making in something that really has no upside, right? Like what difference does it make if I'm wearing a suit right now? It doesn't change my message. It actually probably makes me less relatable, right? Yeah. So, so it's not serving me. So if I get rid of it, then I can save that energy and that decision and that dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter you kind of use for decision-making and acetylcholine as well, then I can save it for something that's actually more meaningful and more valuable and, and is going to have a bigger impact and make a bigger difference. And, you know, the more we're learning uh, in science, et cetera, about the impacts of stress, of stressing or decision fatigue, right, or raising those cortisol levels, it all comes to that, right? Whether you're shopping or you're throwing out or choosing what to wear, where to spend the money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, can you elaborate a little bit about the effects of what it really means by raising the cortisol levels and what kind of damage that does? Oh, man. So you opened a can of worms. <laughs> Uh, so he, he, here's the thing with uh, with cortisol. Cortisol's main function, first, we have to understand its main function is to regulate blood sugar. So if we're if we're mm -hmm. low in blood sugar, then our body will have to raise cortisol in order to keep our blood sugar more balanced. Holy so shit. one way to reduce the production of cortisol in the body for its need to produce more glucose is to eat foods that are higher in carbohydrates. So People like one of the things that's happening right now is people are becoming afraid of carbohydrates. Okay. And so there's this whole low carbohydrate movement. Well, what that does is puts a lot of stress on your adrenals because your adrenals are going to have to make more cortisol because you're not increasing or getting enough carbohydrates exogenously. Okay. And so it does increase stress and you can tolerate that for maybe a, a couple of months, a couple of years, but then eventually people kind of crash and burn. So uh, you need carbohydrates in your diet. And you need them in the right amount, uh, proportional to the type of work that you're doing. So if you're lifting a lot of weights, then you're going to have to have carbohydrates. Okay, otherwise you're you're gonna you're just not going to feel good. Okay, carbohydrates help us with our sleep, so they help us rest better because carbohydrates increase serotonin production. Uh, carbohydrates also make us feel good, and because they increase serotonin, they increase um, our uh, production of happiness neurotransmitters, wow. and then carbohydrates like because they increase serotonin and serotonin later in the day turns into melatonin when you're exposed to warmer frequencies of light, it also helps you sleep better. So you, you heal deeper as well. Oh. And so then you're reducing the ability, you're reducing the likelihood of injury. You're reducing the stress on the, you know, on the adrenals to make all this glucose that you have to make. And so that's one thing I wanted to kind of throw out there. But if we go back to the original question, which is about stress, cortisol is not a stress hormone its primary function is to regulate blood sugar. Okay. Now its secondary function is to dump it's when you increase uh, uh, the levels of stress that somebody's experiencing. And that's all about perception. So I'll talk about that in a second, but when you increase somebody's stress levels, you're also raising catecholamines. Catecholamines are your fight or flight neurotransmitters. So simply raising cortisol is not enough to raise the stress response to, for you to run away from a lion. You also need that catecholamine response. And catecholamines act very quickly. 
So that's what gets you into that heightened state of awareness. And so the way stress works is first it's our five senses. And I would say we have a sixth sense or so six senses have to perceive our environment. The information that's coming in, the smells, the sights, the sounds, the taste, the touch is all going through a part of our brain, the reptilian part of our brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala is where all this information goes in. And that's where our fear and our belief system is stored. And so the amygdala then makes an immediate decision and says, hey, is this fight or flight? If the answer is yes, then before our cognitive brain can actually recognize that there's a stress response, our reptilian brain has already created the stress response biologically. So there's about a two second gap. So this is why uh, managing stress is stupid because you, now you're, you're, you're letting a fire happen and then you're putting it out, right? That's what stress management is. The idea is to not have the spark in the first place. And that's where reprogramming the subconscious and reprogramming our fears and changing our belief systems, that's what actually changes our health. So people who manage stress are just constantly putting out fires everywhere. But people who get rid of the stress and reprogram the subconscious, then that that smell or that taste or that visual or that auditory, it doesn't create that stress response anymore. So it takes a lot of energy to cognitively and actively fight that stress response. It just doesn't work that way. It's a chemical process. It's not an emotional process, right? The emotional processing took place in a deeper part of our brain. So... So that's that's one thing that we need to also you know, kind of air out there as well to give you a deeper understanding of it. So not, once that stress response occurs, guess what? That same blood goes everywhere. It doesn't just go to one part of the body. It goes to every part of the body, okay? Because we want to have a systemic effect. If I want to run away from a lion, I need every organ to be on board. I can't have my digestive system doing some stupid shit right now. I need it to be on board and say, listen, we're not going to digest food right now because we need all of our energy to run away from this tiger or this lion or this husband or this job or this traffic or whatever it is that we've perceived as that stressor. So all resources from every organ, from every cell are now devoted to survival. Okay. And so what happens to the heart? The heart pumps harder because now we need to oxygenate tissue because we're going to run. We're not just sitting here digesting food. We're going to run. Where does that blood come from? Well, it comes from the trunk. Because we need it, we need to send blood to the arms and legs. Because where we send flow is where we send function. Okay, so it's, we've, we can't make more blood. We've got to take it from somewhere else. We take it from the trunk. So now our kidney function shuts down, our digestive function shuts down, detoxification function shuts down because we're not sending blood there as a priority. Wow. Okay, and then our lung capacity increases, our blood pressure increases because it takes more pressure to send blood to these micro capillaries in our fingertips and in, into our uh, periphery of our brain. So we have to have more pressure, right? And that's why our blood pressure increases. And so all these things are happening. And basically cortisol is also increasing. So it's increasing blood sugar to fuel the entire response because that's our fastest source of fuel. Is oh, you muted you, bro. You, you muted yourself there, man. Oh, lost you. Still lost you. Oh, you're on a rampage. I can't, I don't know what happened. Oh man, my boy was on a rampage right there. We got to see, man. Nothing. I got nothing. Man, I'm learning a lot. I'm sure he'll figure it out. He's a computer dude doing his thing. Um, as soon as you find your way back, you know, I was. I'm learning a lot as he's. Feel free to talk anytime, man. Uh, if you if you jump in, but talking about the cortisol levels, I didn't even know about the secondary uh, that was happening as well. Um, it may help you uh, to go ahead and sign out and then sign back in if you can't, uh, if you can't uh, do it. I'll, uh, I'll see if I can hang on to the rope and keep swinging. But, you know, that stress response, you know, I, I kept thinking in my own mind, how many times and a lot of people I know, et cetera, they go from gaining weight to losing weight, gaining weight to losing weight. And uh, I'll ask that question again. You there, Sanchez? I am. All right, man. Keep going. Roll up. Okay. <laughs> um, so basically, you've created this amazing response, this adaptation, this symphony of coordination that's going on among 60 trillion cells. Okay. It's all happening simultaneously to keep you alive. Now, you're not supposed to be in that state constantly, as you can imagine, right? So we have an opposing system. So that what I described is the sympathetic response. And we have an opposing system called the parasympathetic system, which is the exact opposite. So everything I just talked about, if you want the exact opposite to happen, which is where healing occurs, right, where we slow down, 
where we send blood to the gut, the liver, the kidneys, uh, to the reproductive organs, where our blood glucose is level and stable, where we're sending blood to the frontal cortex instead of the reptilian brain, when our resources are not being wasted on this imaginary response that our brain has created, then it's healing and repairing and regenerating. And that's the only time that you're healing, repairing and regenerating. So every time you're in stress, you're sending a a message of catabolism and breakdown and chaos, organized chaos into the body because that response has to take place systemically, which means you can have the opposite response systemically as well. So this is why at our office, we focus on global health. The stupidest thing I can do is try to fix an organ in your body. Why wouldn't I fix everything in your body? right? If I can make your blood a healing elixir, then I can fix every organ in your body. There isn't something that's good for your liver and then is bad for your brain. That would be biologically impossible. Everything works synergistically, right? How would we evolve as a species if something was good for one part of the body and then bad for the other part of the body? So once the influence of synthetic drugs, right? Well, drugs, but you know, the, you know, TV and commercials are a drug for the brain. I wanted to, I'm getting a little feedback when I'm chatting, but I, I definitely wanted to go there, man. You were sparking that idea of basically trying to calm down that environment, the influences, so the lion's not chasing us. But the more you're involved in the television, the phone, even what's going on at jobs, society, drama, gossip, these are all things, right, that are pushing us to hurry up. I got to hurry up and check off this list. I got to travel here. I got to go here. I got to buy this. I got to obtain this. It's almost like we're in this marketing uh, has pushed us in this constant state of running from the lion. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, here's the thing. When you study animals in nature, right, if you're not watching a documentary, but you actually go watch an animal in the zoo or in the safari, whatever it is, they're usually pretty boring to watch. They're just hanging out, right? They're not running, constantly running from something. Or it's sad. It's sad. I hate looking at it, man. I'm like, I'm looking at the lion or something. I don't even go to those fucking places. But I mean, you see where was that to me? I lived in Orlando is the home of that place. And it was just a sad fucking place, man. Yeah. But when you see them in nature, they're relaxed most of the time. They're parasympathetic dominant. So the way you activate the parasympathetic nervous system is actually by activating a nerve called the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is cranial nerve number 10, comes out of the brainstem. You've got one on either side, but then it basically envelopes your entire trunk. And so the word vagus means wanderer. And so it literally travels to every internal organ in your body. And when you stimulate the vagus nerve, you essentially create a healing response in every organ system in your body. The way you uh, manually regulate the vagus nerve is there's a few ways. One is talking. Talking causes vibration in the throat, which mechanically stimulates it. And people don't talk as much as they used to. This is why talking about your problems usually makes you feel better as well. There's a mechanical component Shit. to it as well. Also, deep breathing. The diaphragm is heavily innervated with uh, with uh, the vagus nerve. And so when we the bridge between the sympathetic and parasympathetic system is the is our breath. This is why Tai Chi, yoga, uh, Qigong, Every form of ancient medicine, what did they focus on? It wasn't the movement. The movement was just to distract you from your thoughts, but it was the breath. And it's because the breath activates the parasympathetic nervous system. So the reason you're healing is because of the way you're breathing, not because of all the other stuff. And I mean, that's part of it. But the true reason you're healing is you're breathing. Because they say if your breath is wrong, then it doesn't work. And this is why when they do studies, when they still do these stupid studies to find out does you know, hey, if people do yoga, how do they feel? Of course, they're going to feel better. It's hardwired in our biology, right? And once you recognize that, then you just start using it. I don't have to do any more studies. I just have to know this and start applying it. I don't have to wait for some, you know, like bureaucratic school to tell me that this works, right? It's a major conflict of, uh, of interest for these companies to know that breathing can fix most of your problems. When somebody is born, the first thing they look for is a sign of breath. When people die, they say, till your last breath, right? There's a lot of things you can go without in your life, but there's you can't go without breathing for more than a few minutes, okay? You can go without, you know, all kinds of material stuff. You can go without water for many days. You can go without food for many days. And uh, there's a lot of things you can live without, but your breath is very, very important, right? Your yeah. breath fuels the mitochondria for 60 to 70 trillion cells, you're producing quadrillions of ATP at any given moment. 
Man, it's for some people, you know, we like to make our, our problems more complicated than they are because we don't want to visit what we believe about them. We won't we don't want to visit it, right? I've oh, it can't be that easy, Sachin. I uh I, I've been through this, I've been through this. We begin to make the list of all the reasons why fixing me, the doctor said, and then my genetics passed down, and because of all these autoimmune issues, because of all this, it's so complicated, Sachin. I can't just breathe and eat okay in my life, right? We have to continue to tell that narrative. Keep that narrative up of why we believe we should be experiencing it. So kind of recapping, taking care of that vagus nerve, which by the way, I get it why they call it Las Vegas in my my, my <laughs> head. You're wandering in the desert, right? Right. So that vagus nerve though is from talking. I mean, you hit me hard there. Now I know why I talk all the damn time. And why, why talk therapy actually has an actual chemical response or a biological response, if you will. And, and humming and chanting as well. I just want to add that in there. I'm always singing. Does that then? I'm always singing in the shower. Yeah. Well, actually, I sing everywhere. You give me a couple words and I'll make up a song. I got that uh, from my grandfather. A really, good way, a really good way is to gargle until you tear. So that what? really stimulates the vagus nerve. Yeah. Man, uh, so talking, uh, imagine that. And so if we mix in socialization too, being around friends and talking, it keeps us talking and the See? connection there. Yeah. My God, man, we're putting cardiologists and everybody out of business, right? If we could keep this up. I mean, so those two things, it's, well, that's a lot of things actually to stimulate uh, that, that vagus, the vagus response. If you, that's what you're calling it, correct? Well, you don't want a response. You want, you want a stimulation. Our activation or stimulation. That's what yeah. you were saying, right? So yes. creating that, can you maybe walk through, I know there's a lot of different breathing methods, but like for just a novice person watching, right? What, what could they basically put into practice right now that would be something they could try? Well, I mean, the first thing is before we give them anything to do is just become conscious, right? Um, I recommend if you're really interested, I have a breathing coach. I recommend working with somebody who can uh, watch your breathing. There is a school of thought called uh, Postural Rest- Restoration Institute. And it's important to know, like, because you, mu- you there's very few things that you do 23,000 times a day, right? There's very few repetitive movements that you do 23,000 times a day. I mean, I can't think of any. And the other repetitive movement that you do is your heart. It beats about 100,000 times a day. So breathing and your heart beating are repetitive movements that your body's doing constantly. So you should, if you want, if you're really interested in getting healthy, have somebody work on your breathing and posture because that affects your breath, right? If I take 1% less air out of every breath, every 100 breaths, I missed one. Right. So you got me so conscious. I'm over here trying to like breathe, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm right. You were saying being conscious like that of really what we're doing, right? Then now, yeah. does it matter as far as how we breathe in or how we breathe out or how long, et cetera? Well, we, we want to try to breathe through the nose as much as possible. There's a lot of research that's coming out now that shows the benefits of uh, nostril breathing versus mouth breathing. And there's dentists now that are working on helping people restore that. Something people can do at night is they can actually use a tape to tape their mouth shut while they sleep. So it forces them to breathe through their nose. And this increases um, thermal regulation. So because you're, 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 the nerve that's the shortest nerve in your body is, is your olfactory nerve. So that it has the closest connection to the brain. So sound, smell is actually one of your most powerful senses. Um, and it's very important. It's the only sense that kind of stays on all the time. So you would smell a fire in the middle of the night. Right. You wouldn't hear it, but you would smell it. Yeah, my I'm with you, bro. That's I'm primal as it gets, man. My daughter changed her soap and it smelled like a boy's soap. And she walked by me one night and I went, Oh, hell no. She was <laughs> twenty feet away over on the couch. I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no. She's like, Are you kidding? <laughs> How did you know? I'm like, ah, oh, this bear nose has got you. So I mean yeah. that the breathing to the nose, I've seen some um uh Ashley, uh, it was Ashley's girlfriend. I'm forgetting her name. Oh, I'm so sorry. She was on the podcast a little bit ago, but was talking about uh, some tongue therapy and placement and similar. This is very speaking similar to how important breathing through the nose is. Yeah. And you can breathe. You can, when you breathe, you can put your tongue uh, on the back of your top teeth, right? Just gently in the roof of your mouth and where your top teeth are. And that's a mudra point. So it just helps with kind of getting a deeper sense of relaxation. But when we breathe, Sarah Hornsby. Sorry, I couldn't okay. leave her out like that. No worries. And so, so breathing through our nose is very important. And it changes our draw, draw structure. Uh, usually children who are breastfed are more likely to be nostril breathers because when you're breastfeeding, you have to breathe through your nose. You're forced to because you have that tight suction on and it changes the way your draw structure forms. 
It changes the amount of nitric oxide that your body produces. Nitric oxide dilates blood vessels, so it helps to increase blood flow to peripheral um you know, peripheral tissues and blood flow is very important to the brain because the brain has the smallest capillaries, right? It's very, it's very uh, dense with capillaries, but to get to the finest, the most intelligent parts of the brain in the prefrontal cortex requires blood flow, right? We have to send uh, function. We have to send flow where we want to send function, right? And so if we want to send uh, function to the tip of our brain, we have to have really, really good dilation of those blood vessels because those red blood cells are tiny, right? But those capillaries are just almost as tiny, okay? So to get through, there has to be adequate dilation. There has to be adequate sulfation. That helps with dilation. And when we breathe through our nose, we increase the dilation of our microvasculature, which then promotes much deeper healing and repairing. My gosh, man. Yeah, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm in class right now, man. Like I'm I'm just getting all the, the science behind the things that I know that work, right? I mean, I understand the breathing. I practice that stuff myself. I mean, you talked about posture. I mean, I'm a huge fan, functional patterns. Um, you know, Naudi in his book, Posture, that's out. Uh, I practice that. I mean, these are all, I mean, they seem so logical to me and so primally logical to me that mm-hmm. like this is what we would do. But I mean, why do you think people are just so resistant to, to believing any of this? And, the, you know, the first thing they like to say is, oh, he's not a medical doctor of some kind, right? They throw this bullshit out there when everything I'm hearing now is just makes logical sense to me. Listen, every sick person has a medical doctor. What does that tell you? Oh, shit. Like, so why? Like, that person's office is full of sick people that have gotten sicker every year under their care. So why would you want to go to that person? I have nothing against medical medical doctors, but uh, I know they work hard. I know they're well-intentioned. It's a system that's broken, right? And, you know, when you get rewarded for sick people coming into your office – then of course you want subconsciously sick people to be, that's what drives your entire existence, right? So we've built our business on trying to keep people out of our office. Like we try to keep people completely out of our office as much as they, as much as they're willing to keep themselves out of the office. So we provide all the information and we put it all out there for them um, to help them, you know, kind of navigate their own journey. But, you know, you can climb the mountain with a map or you can hire a Sherpa and they can help you climb up the mountain. And maybe they can show you a shortcut, right? That's not on the map. And so that's what we do. We help people get there faster. We, we believe that, you know, even a modestly intelligent person can figure this out on their own, right? The information's all out there. I mean, we had to go to countless seminars to get it. We had to read countless books and make, make countless connections to get this information, but it's all out there. It just might take you forever to find it. And then, you know, with that also comes confusion. So, you know, we help kind of go, dissect through that noise. And what we try to do is celebrate the body, right? You've got this amazing tool, but nobody's taught you how to use it. It's like, you know, hey, here's the latest and greatest phone, but we're not going to teach you how to use it, which means you're only going to get 5% of what it can actually do and what it's actually capable of. And when it stops working, you blame the phone instead of the user who didn't know how to use the phone or didn't know how to take advantage of all the all the bells and whistles that are already included, Right. So everyone has a Vegas nerve. It's free. It's included. I don't have to sell it back to you, right? Yeah. I'm not trying to tell you that you don't, hey, you don't have this part. Let me sell it to you. And then keep selling it to you every month because it expires, right? It's like, you've already got this. You've got the brain to think. You've got the hands and feet to walk to the grocery store. Hopefully you have a job to pay for it. And then you've got the digestive system to digest that meal. You've got the you've got a you know heart that's going to keep, the blood and nutrients and everything flowing for you. You've got lungs that are going to keep breathing for you. I mean, you've got everything that you need. Right. Yeah, I, I think we, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, there's nothing that you need. You've got it all. Now you've got to know how to use it. And once you learn yeah. how to use it, then you can leverage it. Yeah. I think a lot of people really get caught in you. You talked about before about sick people coming in, et cetera. Right. When uh, I was going through um, uh, mental health classes, et cetera. Right. They tell you to uh, try to counsel yourself out of the job. But then I met tons of therapists, even when I was in private practice for a little bit, community health. What you see is when it comes down to keeping your lights on and your door open and feeding your family, well, you'll book that patient and you'll book that client and you'll say, well, another six months of therapy and we can uh, we can get somewhere, right? Or we can walk through this when really there's a lot of help to be offered right up front. 
It's almost we keep them in the state of confusion by walking them through all the psychotherapy, all the background noise. And do you see a way out? I kind of see a transition happening, actually, as a society as a whole, um, at least in the reactionary medicine. We seem to be this uh, based in reactionary medicine, and then preventive medicine is beginning to come. You see it shining. You're seeing it more and more and more. You see that fight. Like We live in this duality age, right, of everything is fighting each other. So you see, I think, the growth, or do you see the growth, if you will, in more people approaching preventive medicine versus reactionary? Right. No, 100%. I think there is definitely a transition taking place. I mean, it needs to, right? Because it's what we're doing is not sustainable. So the change will either be forced or it will be created, right? And we're at an intersection now where we can create it because we can see the, the establishment crumbling, right? So why wait? If we know the change is coming, whether from a force or from a creation and when it happens through force, then it usually gets pretty ugly. But when it happens through creation, it can be pretty beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, it scares me so much about our uh, species sometimes that we almost have to fuck up. We got to screw up. We got to look at everything and go, oh, shit, you know, what did we do? And then we spend most of our time trying to sweep that shit up, which is kind of like I see a lot of people approach their health, too, right? Is they just run it into the fucking ground until the heart attack happens, until the shit happens. And then it's this fast forward motion of uh, wanting to clean that up, right? And when the when the mic went out, I started to talk about um, I, I had heard maybe you'll definitely or confirm or call me retarded. I don't know. Uh, I guess I can't use that word either. Uh, you'll call me <laughs> less knowledgeable. But the idea is you see a lot of people that gain weight, lose weight, gain weight, lose weight. They fight it back and forth. And can this be actually more detrimental to your heart than just staying at a, a weight? You know what, man? I'll talk about um, I, I look at life maybe a little bit differently than most people. And maybe after I say this, we'll kind of get your perspective too. But to me, it's not about how long you live. To me, it's about the impact that you have. There's people that live till 100 that have no impact, right? They just kind of die in a corner for the last 20 years. And I mean, who cares? You live to 100, but who cares? It's To me, life is more about how much are you contributing every single day? Because that person that lived to 100, they also didn't get hit by a bus in 100 years, right? And you never just never know how things end, Right. So to me, it's about how much of an impact can you have on a daily basis in this moment, in this hour, because you never know what's around the corner. And so the only way to know how long you're going to live is to die. And I don't want to wait until that point to find out, right? And it could be 50, it could be 100, it could be 120. But, you know, the other thing too is if you plan on living long, you want to you wanna do something meaningful that creates a better world in the future, right? If you go to work every day, and what you do creates a horrible future for yourself or other people, depending on the industry you're in, you might be doing that, then keep in mind, you're probably going to be alive for that future, right? Unless you plan on dropping dead prematurely. So I think that it's there's definitely a movement taking place. There's definitely a shift to the feminine, if you will. And, uh, you know, people are starting to become a lot more empowered. And And again, I mean, not to just talk about what we do, but I love what we do because we empower people. We give people an opportunity to, you know, to really live their best life should they choose to do that. And our, we have three mantras in our office that that are really simple. And so these are the three qualifying questions we ask everybody and have them agree with. One is that we don't treat any diseases. What we do is we co-create health. So we're going to help you create health in your body as best we can. We're not going to treat an isolated disease because there's plenty of people that will do that and they'll do it for free. And that's why you're here, because that's what that's the paradigm that they were operating under. They're trying to fix a disease, but no disease occurs in isolation because the same blood goes everywhere. So it, how could one how could the blood that's destroying your thyroid be healthy for any other part of your body? They just have bigger reserves. Right. So they're not the problems in those organs aren't going to show up until much later. So understanding that, I think, is very critical. Let's just build health because if we get your blood healthy, then we can get everything healthy. If we get your cells healthy, then then it's a, you're a whole different, completely different person. And that's, again, what we try to do. The second thing is most diseases involve what goes in your mouth and sometimes what comes out of your mouth or what doesn't come out of your mouth. So what we say, what we don't say, and what we eat matters. Okay, That's where emotional health and digestive health are connected. It's no coincidence, right, like that people have a lot of fear and anxiety or keep things you know, bubbling inside of them have digestive problems. The systems, they're connected, not separate from each other. Uh, You speak through your mouth, you swallow from your mouth. 
The other thing and, is, and now we got that Vegas, we got the Vegas stimulation. So we right. got to be talking, got to get that out. Uh, that's a huge point. I'm glad you made that. As a lot of people are, you see this rise of IBS and all this other stuff, and they're thinking, mm-hmm. well, I ate some fried stuff or this. And truthfully, you could start and going, well, how stressed are you? How anxious are you every day? How worried? How angry are you every day? Yeah, no, it's um, it's crazy, man. And the third thing, just to, for completeness, is that the doctor doesn't determine the outcome the patient does so it's the patient's responsibility to create the outcome because we're going to teach them a life skill how they utilize that life skill is up to them right we know what works because it's this is the biology right this is your chemistry inside that works that's kind of undisputable and so we work on patients from a relationship standpoint a communication standpoint a uh, subconscious reprogramming standpoint. We have services that can go into their home and do a healthy home inspection for them to look I for things that. like mold and bacteria and, you know, you know, their carpet and their mattress. Like sometimes those things are making people sick. And if you sleep in a bed that's making you sick every night and you're then paying somebody thousands of dollars, it might be cheaper for you to change your mattress. Whew. Right. And you get a better night's sleep. So we kind of help people evaluate all their blind spots that they might not know exist. And, and so those are the three things. If people can c- come into an agreement with that and then celebrate their body instead of blame their body and want to improve global health instead of just isolated, myopically improve their health, which it doesn't exist. It's a fairy tale. That's why we don't have any cures for anything because people have been sold this lie, right? But once you realize, once you realize it's a lie, just through logic and common sense, I mean, does the same blood go everywhere or not? Yeah. Yeah. So there's that decimates this entire medical model that we've created because you can't fix something in isolation, which also means you can't destroy something in isolation. When you fix one thing, you fix everything. When you destroy one thing, you're destroying everything else at the same time. My God, you're even speaking to addiction treatment, man. We put them in inpatient isolation for 30, 60 days. We get them out of there, throw them on some chemicals that affect this or affect that. Then they go right back to the environment. I mean, Dude, mm-hmm. your practices need to be everywhere. I mean, this is a true, true meaning of the holistic approach, really, of coming in and looking at everybody, looking at everything, down to the mattress, down to the air filters, down to what you're eating, how you're talking, how you're breathing. I mean, this this is so fucking logical to me. I don't think I'm ever going to see a medical doctor again. I mean, I went through the ringer recently, man. I I mean, hospitalized three times, got diagnosed three different things, saw a, a practitioner locally that had all these reviews, wanted to go a whole different route of something else. When I was dealing with hypoglycemia from away, but then I linked it to I was avoiding carbs like crazy, right? I mean, can we walk down for, I know you got about 10 or 20 left, and but I think we were talking about ideas of ketosis or ketosis almost and avoiding mm-hmm. the carbs and putting our body in that. And I mean, when I started implementing Dr. Jack. Cruz's ideas of taking in the light, breathing like the Wim Hof, the pot. When all this started happening, I was able to digest carbs like nothing. I wasn't spiking blood sugar. None of this crazy shit these doctors were telling me or not telling me, you know, Mm -hmm. wasn't happening. Yeah. So low carbs is is not for people who have high stress. (laughs) (laughs) Well, dude, you just would have saved my ass two or three months and $200 in doctor visits and shit like that. I mean, I, the work I choose is a high stress work. I mean, fighting bullshit, fighting chemical incarceration, trying to get people's message like yours out there, your competence out there. I'm chasing it. I mean, that's a kind of the life that I choose, right? I want to make an impact. Like you said, like I agree, time is our most valuable currency, not experience as colleges like to sell kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, I believe in trying to wake up every morning and make somebody feel good, make somebody smile or put out some truth. So Shit, man. You say two sentences to me, man. You just saved me $1,000 visiting these fucking, man. <laughs> More importantly, I would have saved you time, man. I would have saved you two months. Yeah. I mean, so so carbs are necessary, right? And we yeah. some all some understand, some don't. Uh, are there bad carbs, good carbs, right? We hear that. Well, Simple, I mean, complex. What's that really mean? Here's, here's the easiest way to look at it. If it's processed, don't eat it. Just start there. Okay? Just, just start there. If it's processed then you should probably avoid it. And um, and one of the things that you want to avoid is uh, glyphosate. So there'll be some new guidelines coming out. There's some new lists coming out about glyphosate-free, Roundup-free foods, because something might be low carb or the right carb, but if it's sprayed with pesticides, then there's a lot of research coming out now that shows that that impacts a lot of aspects of our health that we'd never realized until this point. Wait, wait you, you mean spraying poisons on the food that we're going to eat affects our internal health? 
Yeah, yeah. Apparently, they did uh, research. They spent millions of dollars figuring it out. <laughs> oh my god, man! Somebody knew somebody that got a government grant to get some money to do some bullshit research, man. Well, I mean, it's. I think the research is important to do a couple of things. One, I, yeah, I totally agree that it may not be necessary to quantify the obvious, but in this kind of broken system that we have, that's the that's the norm. Now, what's happening is. There's different paths, and we, we talked about uh, creation through, or you know, uh, things can be things can come to fruition through creation, or they can come through fr- uh, fruition through chaos, right? And that's we don't want to wait for that chaos to happen. So right now, there's a very important time in healthcare that there's a global movement. Everyone's kind of behind this. Nobody just people just don't know what to do. That's the confusing part. And it's not about who you're going to see. Who you're going to see isn't the answer. It's what you're going to do. That's the answer. What are you going to do for yourself? That's the answer. And we can teach people to do that. We can teach people the fundamentals to start there, because if you've got those fundamentals in place, then if you still need a doctor, their treatment's going to work way better, right? A drug, if you need one, sometimes you do, is going to work better if you're eating healthier. It's going to work better if you're sleeping better. It's going to work better if if you're not killing yourself with crazy stress. It's going to work better if you're moving around a little bit, right? I tell, I tell my, uh, some of my doctors to tell their patients that, hey, if you want to help that patient, I'll tell them the drug doesn't work unless they walk for 10 minutes afterwards, right? I like it. And I'll I like it. The drug, right? And they'll get a walk-in. So at least they're, they're doing something, right? They're buying into it and, and creating positive change and positive behavior. But who knows? Maybe that would reduce the uh, frequency the person would take the medication, right? Oh, that, that'll probably yeah. save their life too. I'm with you, man. Um, have we, what are those fundamentals? If you can get those out, um, you know, have we talked about them when you say, if we can get them the basic fundamentals, can you cover what those are for people that are listening? So at least maybe we can give them a starting point to do some self-research. Well, here's, here's what I've done. I've put my 30 best tips into one, uh, sequence of emails. So if people go to 30 in 30.org, so three zero I N three zero.org, then they just have to put their name and email address in. And every day I'll send them 30 of my best tips. I'll walk them through my home. I'll walk them through my office in some videos. I'll share some videos of my son and I, and we talk about parenting. We talk about a lot of things. So it's there's some communication tips in there, relationship tips in there, exercise tips in there, nutrition tips in there. You get a copy of my cookbook. And it's all free because, again, our our mission is to keep people out of our office. And so... Those 30 things uh, create a compound effect. So if you start doing, and and most of those things that we talk about are things you're already doing, right? So I talk about like using a squatty potty when you go to the bathroom. You're already taking a dump. You may as well take it in the correct anatomical position. So, you know, simple changes and not even really changes, but really adaptations or uh, simple ways of improving something that you're already doing is what we try to do. And it's, it's been awesome. We've had about 7,000 people go through it and I get positive messages and emails every day. Actually, it's even though the program is free, what's really hilarious is a lady, a 92 year old lady who's in the program sent me a $25 check in the mail because she felt like she had to give me something because of the value that she's getting out of the program. So it was like, I I I think I've got it here. You know, she's 92. If she's writing a check for one, (laughs) yeah. <laughs> she's mailing she's mailing you a check but that is so beautiful i love that yeah and she she wrote me this like long like one page handwritten letter i mean it was like the sweetest thing that's ever been done oh man i would love to have you back on the show just to kind of cover those 30 things or new 30 things you know i'm uh, health wise as far as the biology what i'm inputting obviously i talk too damn much anyway so i'm getting those responses i'm doing the wim hof i'm doing functional patterns right i'm doing these these things um, for me, I'm trying to become more cognizant of my environment and those effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I lived in a house with black mold for about six months or so, mm-hmm. and it was just, I mean, I lost weight. It was so bad. Like I was getting delirious thoughts. I mean, hell, you can listen to a podcast or two when I was out of my fucking mind, right? It was, it had so, such a terrible effect on me. And over in Florida, that's a bad, it's all over the place with cheap construction and, and rain right. all the time. So I'm trying to become more aware of my environment, like Dr. Jack Cruz, EMF, stuff like that. If I can find a way to podcast without having all this shit around me and still have good sound, then maybe I'll get somewhere. 
But those are the things that are really interesting me now is those epigenetic effects, those environmental influences that we can change, like the mattress you pointed out, uh, mm-hmm. flooring and carpeting, things like that. Those are the things that are really uh, where the competence rabbit hole I've been diving down into lately. Is is there one maybe that because uh, there's something that maybe people really go, holy shit. You know, you've made me say that a few times already. But is there maybe like one, maybe something off the top of the head it may not be the best one, but something that most people really overlook in their environment? Uh, well, I would think the most thing, the thing that's overlooked the most is rest and sleep. So people just feel like they need to keep going, going, going. We've created a culture where, you know, if you're not doing something, you're lazy. And so the hardest the hardest thing people have a time doing is nothing. Go to bed early, sit in silence, you know, just be mindful of your breath. I mean, just start there. If you can't do that, then everything else is just a waste of time and money. I would agree, right? We have created that culture, the marketing. If you get into half these fitness gurus too that are posting all these stupid memes about take the day, no rest for the wicked. I even talk shit about uh, one of the speakers, Eric Thomas, who's telling kids in his thing, you got to be willing to lose sleep to get to be successful. I'm like, uh, no, that's the last thing you want to tell him, sir. You know, I, I think that's so we, we have this mix of the marketing, go getter, entrepreneur, be somebody, make an impact. Um, no rest for the wicked, right? Just, just drive until the idea comes home instead of really kind of the reverse of that is finding a peaceful place, finding that calmness, finding that stillness. I mean, everything you've talked about in the beginning of this podcast seems to be a negative effect by that constant going, that constant pressure. Mm -hmm. No, I get it, man. So we, we've got our meeting here in a minute and, uh, I'd, uh, I'd love to keep this conversation going. Maybe we can revisit this at some point, but there's a lot of dialogue that can take place and, and I appreciate you having me on the show. And I know you've got another appointment coming up here as well. So thanks brother for all this. Bro, man, book any time, man. Book just, you got the booking link now, that private booking link, bro. If something hits you and you're like, you know what, dude, I, I fucking want to get this out there. I want to get this out there a couple hundred thousand people right now. Um, dude, just book that shit. I don't care if it's tomorrow or the next day or what. Just give me like 24 hours, you know? But okay. book it any time, man. I it, This is wide open for you and anybody else that uh, is around becometheproof.com and what you're doing at that institute of, uh, of the living proof, man. I'm I'm in. So the mic is yours anytime you need it, brother. Okay. And just, just for correctness, it's becomeproof.com. Shit. Damn it. Become, <laughs> becomeproof.com, right? I just, so just, I, don't, I just don't know what becometheproof.com is. I, and I was like, man, do I need to go buy that URL right now? <laughs> <laughs> you may need to. Somebody already did, dude. You're just, somebody already did. So uh, becomeproof.com, the Living Proof Institute with, uh, with Satchin, man. Anytime, dude. I'm, I'm, right now, I'm all giddy and shit. I'm all like, ah, I'm going to go look up that 30 and 30 thing at .org. It's 30in30.org, uh, right? Got it. Yep. The number is oh, the number three zero in three zero dot org. Shit. I'm going there right now. I'm going to check my mattress, man. I'm a, but I don't want to up my uh, decision fatigue either. So I'm going to walk through the competence nice and slowly and take yeah. it in. Take it uh, one day at a time. Go through 30 and 30 one day at a time. Thank you, brother. I'll see you soon. and We'll chat again. Okay. Sounds great. Bye. Thoroughly enjoyed that, y'all. I mean, he gave me a good solid hour. I'm getting really confused when I moved out here to Arizona. Um, they don't observe daylight savings time. You know, when I had uh, uh, Steven Sashin on from Zero Shoes, he was in Colorado, mountain time. I'm in Arizona, mountain time. And except they don't observe, we don't observe, or whatever. Arizona doesn't observe daylight savings. So I'm actually an hour behind mountain standard time. So um, Sachin and I went through that this morning. Uh, but we'll get used to it and get through it. That's part of the reason I was in a kind of, oh, shit. You know, he's, we were supposed to go and didn't. But these are the types of podcasts that I love. The the simple, logical, com- the simple, logical implementation, the things that we can do for our health, for our life, for our function that we have the power to do, whether it's changing our beliefs, simply breathing, simply sleeping more, um, what we eat, right, what we choose, Beyond the complication, I love how he talked about confusion is the fuel behind today's economic funding, right? I mean, if you really think about that, we're confused about what we're supposed to eat, how we shouldn't eat, right? The next, the next uh, nutrition book that comes out that tells you this or tells you that. And I love when someone can not only make it more simplistic, but then also back up the science behind what they're saying. And uh, I'm going to definitely heed his advice and urge you to do the same, which is truly take it slow 
take it one day at a time. You know, when I, when I put out my book, right, about chasing competence, that's what I'm doing. But you also have to be willing to slow down. You know, I always use my grandmother's advice when I feel like I'm too much in a rush or there's too many things going around. She's the sweetest lady in the world, by the way. She sits at the right hand of God. She's got one of those red phones. She can just call them. You know, in all her 84 years of existence and my 35 years of being around this woman, I have never once seen her angry in her life. I've never seen her use a curse word. I have never seen her upset. And I ask her every time I see her, you know, Mama, how do you do it? And she goes, I just love people. I, I just love people. And she is such the practitioner of that. And so sometimes when I, uh, you know, get too worked up or I'm chasing too much competence or I find another rabbit hole of like Dr. Jack Cruz or Sachin's open up some here, uh, Tony Wright's, I mean, so many, so many holes that I open up. And I'm like, you know, Memo, I just, I feel like there's just so much to learn that I got to tell everybody. I got to get this guest on because they're the expert and we can tell more people. And she says, you know, how do you get out of a swamp, Adam? One alligator at a time. If you try to fight all the alligators, you're going down. So if you're chasing all the competence, if you're in that high stress environment, you know, and it seems like too much, that's part also what I rewrote in the book too, is trying to urge people, although I'm telling you to chase competence and self-competence by asking the wise, don't get too wrapped up in it. Take it easy. Just like the advice I got today. And take on one alligator at a time. Yeah. Hope you're taking care of you. Stay tuned. Uh, going off. And um, Frankie was kind enough to move it back an hour. So 11 o'clock my time. It's 10 a.m. right now. Mountain Standard Arizona time. That's what I'm starting to call it. Mountain Standard Arizona time is about just less than an hour from now, about 55 minutes from now. And Frankie Sanchez, Conor McGregor's new boxing coach, will be on this podcast. Such a humble guy, family man, um, just a, a, a real, real beautiful soul. So uh, we're going to probably talk fighting, boxing, and and all kinds of other things, stuff I'm really into. I love MMA. I love boxing. These are things I'm deep into. Uh, now, I'm not the guy. I'm not like the sports guy where I know this fighter came from this, and this fighter cuts his toenails on Wednesday, and then this fighter came from here. But when the, you know, I'm not that guy. I'm just someone that enjoys the martial arts, enjoys the uh, competitive nature. I practice it myself um, a lot. I've been doing it for a long time. But it's how I kind of zone and center myself. It's how I function, the functional patterns that I use. Uh, I do a lot of functional patterns on my own through Naughty's Free Stuff, who gives it away. But then I use those, that biomechanics, and then I put it into practice in my punching, my kicking, my Muay Thai, etc. So I really get into that. So he was kind enough to give us, um, I think, what is his first interview since being placed or chosen to be in uh, Connor's camp for his Mayweather boxing match. So I'm, I'm just grateful for uh, Frankie to do so. Uh, and thank you, Patricia, for reaching out to Frankie and, uh, and bringing him onto the show. It meant a lot. So in about 55 minutes, we're going to be back live. I'm going to post another link, and we'll be back with uh, Frankie Sanchez, y'all. Love you. Hope you're taking care of you. Keep living that rampage. Another one's coming back in just a minute, y'all.